Let me start the sermon with a question. And if you're new, we are in a series of sermons on Lent, which is the 40-day period of preparation for Easter. And so let me start the sermon this morning with an unusual, but I think kind of important question for us to consider. And the question is this. What is your relationship with suffering? What is your personal relationship with suffering? Maybe your relationship to suffering is something like this person who wrote this as a letter to God. And this person wrote, Dear Lord, I have a somewhat strange proposal, but I think that when considered, you will find my rationality very reasonable. Lord, I know that we as Christians must share in the sufferings of Christ. I know that one of the unavoidable things about life is suffering. I also know that although you may not actually cause the suffering, you use it for the benefit of your kingdom. Natural disasters, broken relationships, persecution, financial and professional struggles, as well as sickness and death will come. But Lord, could you make my life an exception? I'd really prefer if I needn't have to suffer all that much. A more peaceful, hassle-free life without too many struggles would be nice. My proposal is as follows. If I find other ways to sanctify myself, could you perhaps allow me to miss the pain and suffering part of my life? And then after listing all these things that, he, that the writer knows that God does in, in, um, in suffering and his proposals that he'll try to grow those ways without the suffering, he ends the letter with this. Lord, I know my request seems a little strange, but since I'm asking, would it be possible if you could keep my family from suffering also? Also, if you could keep my immediate family from pain, that'd be nice. And why not throw in my extended family too? Actually, I believe some of my friends would thrive in a suffering-free environment. But I'll leave that up to, be, to your discretion. Just one more request, Lord, if you could reply to this letter with either a very deep, audible voice or by turning the clouds into letters, those would be the best communication methods. Is your relationship with suffering something like that? You know the good that can come from it, but you'll do anything you can to avoid it? And is your relationship with suffering that you would try to, if you're really, really honest, try to bargain with God to get out of it? We, most of us know that there are deep and profound things that can only be formed in us in response to suffering. But most of us have bought into the cultural value that we should avoid suffering at all costs. If it involves suffering, then we probably don't want to do it. So I had a sobering week this week thinking about suffering. And it all came out of one verse in the Gospel of John, and it's John 12, 36. And the verse, it's just a very brief verse. It says this, when Jesus had finished speaking, he hid himself from them. So, so far this, far, this this point in Lent at Cornerstone, we've looked at Jesus through the lenses of people that, that were with him on Holy Week. So Monday of, Monday of Holy Week, we 
saw Jesus through the lens of the people who watched him cleanse the temple. And then on Tuesday, we saw Jesus through the lens of the people who heard him tell the parable of the wicked tenants. And then last week, we saw Jesus through the lens of the people who heard him give um, the great commandments to love God with all we are and to love one another. And so we've mentioned this before, but Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes in with all of the, the hoopla into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday of Holy Week is called a day of acclaim. Monday of Holy Week was a day of authority. Tuesday of Holy Week was a day of argument. That's when the, the, the scribes and the religious leaders just came after Jesus time and time and time again. Tuesday was a day of, arg of argument. Because of John 12, 26, when Jesus had finished speaking, he hid himself from them. Wednesday of Holy Week is known as a day of absence. Today, we want to see Jesus through Jesus' eyes on Wednesday of Holy Week. And I hope what will come out of this is that we'll grasp and experience some of the suffering that Jesus experienced on Holy Wednesday, which means that we're going to have to evaluate our own personal relationships with suffering. Because Holy Week, through Jesus' eyes, is overwhelmingly about suffering. Holy Week, in some churches, some traditions, is called Passion Week, which is appropriate. The Greek word for passion means to suffer. So Holy Week or Passion Week is all about Jesus' suffering, and it accelerates after Wednesday to where he is betrayed, and then he is unjustly tried, and then he is tortured, and then he is crucified. So this week, as I focused on Jesus and his suffering through Passion Week, I was confronted with that verse it's actually Philippians 3.10, that calls all the followers of Jesus to share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. It's Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, and it reads like this. Um, Paul writes, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So I've, um, I've preached that verse a number of times on Easter. How can you not, right? I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. In my life, knowing Christ is one of the greatest values in my life. I want to know Christ and I want to become like him. And I want to know his resurrection because the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and in me. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But I've hardly ever thought I want to know and share in his suffering, somehow becoming like him in his death. I want to focus this morning on what it might mean for us to join the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. So as best we can figure, John 12, 36, when Jesus had finished speaking, he hid himself from them. It is about Wednesday of Passion Week. Wednesday was Jesus' precursor, extended precursor, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Wednesday of Holy Week was Jesus' very last extended period of time with his Heavenly Father 
before the events would just start crashing of Holy Thursday and Good Friday, leading to his death on the cross and leading to his soul-searing separation from his heavenly Father. So think about it. If you, like Jesus, knew that you were going to die in two days, how would that affect you today? If you knew you were going to die on Tuesday, what would your, your suffering be like today? And if you knew that you weren't just going to die, but you were going to die the worst death imaginable for a human being, what would your suffering be like today if you knew that that was going to happen on Tuesday? We've said before that fully one-third of the Gospels is about Holy Week, right? A third of the Gospels, just about what Jesus did in that last week before the cross. I, we've mentioned this before. We know more about what happened on Holy Week than we know about the details of any other week in all of, of history because we have so many perspectives on Holy Week. We know more about that than any other week in ancient history, which makes it interesting what we know about Wednesday. So at some point, <laughs> decades ago when I was a young pastor, I thought it'd be really cool to do this. And so I actually did. In Matthew's gospel, there are 353 verses about what Jesus did Palm Sunday through Wednesday, and then Thursday to the cross. 353 verses for that time period in Matthew's gospel. Zero verses on what happened on Wednesday. In Mark, because I did count them, 228 verses, Palm Sunday to, through Tuesday, and then Thursday through the cross. Zero verses on Wednesday. Same thing in Luke's gospel, but there are 229 verses for Sunday through Tuesday and Thursday through the cross. And then we come to the gospel of John. And he has 278 verses about all that other time period, but he has one little verse that applies to Wednesday of Holy Week. John 12, 36. When Jesus had finished speaking, he hid himself from that. What we know about Jesus on Wednesday of Holy Week is he disappeared. Jesus went into hiding. And again, if you knew you, knew you were going to die in two days, a really horrific death, how would you spend today? If you knew that your death was going to be, be something as severe as when Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would your day, two days before that, be like? And remember how often Jesus, like, disappears through the Gospels? It's actually an interesting pattern. Right after his baptism, you know, he's pointed out as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He disappears for 40 days in the wilderness, at the end of which he defeated Satan's temptations with the word of God. Then when Jesus heard that his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded, we read in Matthew 14 that he withdrew to be alone. When Jesus had grieving, deep grieving to do, he went and got time alone so that he could process his grieving with God. Then at the feeding of the 5,000, um, the Mark 14 says, after Jesus had dismissed all those people, after he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there 
alone. Long night of ministry, Mark 1.35 says, very early in the next morning, after Jesus had been doing all that, very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then Luke chapter 5 says, um, when Jesus was getting like really famous, um, Luke chapter 5 says, even more the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16 of Luke 5. But Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what did Jesus do when he was under great stress, when he was grieving? He disappeared and found God and spent time with his heavenly father alone in prayer. So John 12, 26 doesn't tell us specifically what Jesus did on Wednesday, but we know from the pattern of his life what Jesus was doing on Wednesday was he was in the suffering that, that he knew was coming. He had to spend time with his heavenly father without anybody else there just to be with his father. What might his suffering have been like on that day? And can we try to enter into some of what was coming? Philippians chapter 2 that we just read the beginning of the service, I want to read that again to you, talks about how Jesus, though being the Son of God, emptied himself so that he could become like us, so that we might become like him. This is the same thing we read earlier, Philippians chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, something he had to hold on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled he he empties himself. Can you imagine going from the, the, the throne of heaven and emptying yourself of your godhood and just becoming a man? But even after that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. On Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus knew he was going to die. He had been telling his followers that time and time again before the week even started. On Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus knew he was going to die on a cross. John chapter 12, he, he says, um, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then the Apostle John tells us what that means. He says, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew that Wednesday that in two days he would be crucified. On Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus knew that on the cross, all of the sins of humanity would be laid on him. All the sins of humanity. Isaiah 53 describes the suffering of the Messiah like this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried 
our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, we have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the suffering servant. This is the suffering that Jesus knew was coming in just two days. First Peter 2, 22 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus, God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, died on the cross for your sins and my sins, for the sins of the entire human race. He was willing to take that upon himself so that we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored. And on Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus knew all of that was coming, which means Jesus also knew that he would, would experience the searing pain of separation from God. Jesus knew that his physical death, as terrible as it is to die on a cross, it was going to be far more terrible to have the break in the Trinity that had never happened before in the history of, in, before history, it never had there been a break in the Trinity. He knew that God would forsake him on the cross, and that would be excruciatingly worse than the physical death. The very next day, after Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we feel, we hear in his own words, some of what he must have been going through all day on Wednesday. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And Luke 22 says that being in, ag in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Can you imagine such anguish? Yes, as the Son of God, he knew that he would be resurrected. He told his followers that. They didn't get it. How could they get it, right? But he told them that before that week, that he would be raised in three days' time. But there's no way to have a resurrection unless something really, truly dies completely. And on Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus knew he would die a horrific death on the cross and be separated from his heavenly Father. As 2 Corinthians says, for our sake, he who knew no sin became sin itself so that we could become the righteousness of God. Can we grasp the depth of Christ's suffering for us? And can we 
draw so close to Jesus that that's not just in our theology or somewhere in our heads, but we sense it in our souls. As the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity, he could have called 10,000 angels and stopped it all. He could have decided it wasn't worth doing this. The suffering was going to be too great. He could have decided no. But he willingly chose to go to the cross for us and for the rest of the human race. Cornerstone Church, can we enter into the fellowship of Jesus' suffering? Or will we take it lightly and go on with life as usual? Will we identify with Jesus and join him in his suffering and so become like him in his death? Or will we glibly carry on our distracted lives? Can we reevaluate our relationship with suffering and join the fellowship of Christ's suffering? Acts 14.22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's just, that's the way it is. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, there will be, and we know this, because we experience many hardships. 1 Peter 2.20 says, if we suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this we were called. We were called to suffer for doing good in this world. To this we were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should walk in his steps. If we are walking in the steps of Jesus, we will be suffering in this world for doing good. Then Romans 8, 17 just says it very clearly again. It says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided. Oh, caveat, Right? We are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So what happens when we join the fellowship of his suffering? What happens when we suffer with Jesus? Well, first of all, when we join the fellowship of his suffering, we grow closer to God than ever before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing... Um, in Nazi Germany, uh, a faithful theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that within the fellowship of Christ's suffering, suffering is overcome by suffering. Suffering doesn't defeat us, but suffering overcomes suffering, and it becomes the way to communion with God. When we join the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus, we become closer friends of God. Just like, just like your friends now. When you join any of your friends in suffering, you become closer. And the same thing happens when we join the suffering of Jesus. When we join the fellowship of suffering, we, we have to make some choices. It forces some choices. That's a balloon. <laughs> All right. It forces some choices when we join the suffering of Jesus. We have to ask ourselves some questions. Will we let God use pain to take us outside our comfort zones? Our culture says, hell no. But as Christians, will we let God use our pain to take us outside our comfort zones? What will we do with God when we're suffering and we don't understand why? Will we learn obedience through our suffering? 
or will we learn rebellion and find ways to avoid our suffering? And is your prayer life a little dull? Here's a way to increase the passion of your prayer life. Join the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus because it raises the persistence and passion of our prayers. Because when we are suffering, we cry out to God all the more. And when we join Jesus in his suffering, we cry out to God all the more. In their book, The Fellowship of the Suffering, the authors write, prayer might be the last thing we feel like doing when we're suffering, but it's arguably the most important. That's what Jesus did, right? In his suffering, he went and found the Father. Praying through suffering, they say, our own and that of the world, brings us into closer communion, not only with God, but with his people throughout the world. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote just a short little book called The Problem of Pain. And probably the quote that you've heard more than any other quote from that book is this one, and there's a reason for it. C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Do you want your prayer life to become deeper? Join the fellowship of suffering with Jesus. When we suffer with Jesus, it also raises the level of our praise and worship. And many of us have experienced this. When we are in some of our deepest times of loneliness or sadness, very often that's when our worship becomes the most, most profound and life-transforming. And many of us can say times when we met to worship God and those times were more significant because we were suffering. And when we become or when we suffer with Christ, we actually become better human beings. We become better human beings. Depth is not cultivated apart from suffering. Scriptures teach us this. Life teaches us this. That one of the primary ways to grow deep is through suffering. It's not by having an easy life. It's not by avoiding suffering. It's not by running from pain or loneliness or hardship. Depth comes through those things, which is why Romans 5 says we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Isn't that interesting? When we have learned under our suffering, when we've persevered, it grows our character. And that's shown by how strong is our hope. And the simple truth is that we can't be mature and complete apart from hardship and suffering. So there's a Christian doctrine, uh, uh, MD, um, who's now passed away. His name is Paul Brand. And he wrote a book called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. And this is the subtitle to his book, Warning. A life without pain could really hurt you. Same thing with this. Warning. A life without suffering can really cause you pain. And then finally here, and then we'll wrap up. When we suffer with Christ, we discover a rich and resilient joy. There is unspeakable joy that comes only through suffering. So another author by the name of Ajith Fernando wrote a book called The Call to Joy in Suffering. And he said this, he said, one of the interesting things about suffering in the New Testament record is that suffering is hardly ever mentioned without also a mention 
of the blessing of suffering. And the blessing of suffering is joy. And he found 18 New Testament texts about suffering that tied suffering and joy together so that he concludes joy and suffering are necessary aspects of Christianity. And they can and they must exist together. Then there's a, uh, another pastor who's passed away by the name of Eugene Peterson. And he wrote this. He said, all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. Sow it in God and he will finally bring a harvest of joy from it. Christian joy, he says, is actualized in the midst of pain, suffering, loneliness, and misfortune. Next time you're really, really lonely or really, really hurting, plant that seed in God. And God will bring a harvest of joy. Which is why the scripture that you all know and that you were pretty sure I was going to get to eventually, James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy. Whenever you experience trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work and so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So Cornerstone Church, there are levels of friendship with God. There are next levels of prayer and worship. There are next levels of depth and joy that we will never know, know if we will not join the fellowship of Christ's suffering, becoming like him in his death. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross and scorned its shame. For the joy set before us, will we too join in the suffering of Jesus becoming like him in his death. So back to our question at the beginning of the message. What is your relationship to suffering? Because you see, for devoted Christians, suffering is not an obstacle. Suffering is an opportunity. For devoted Christ followers, um, we don't run from suffering the, world, the way the world runs from suffering. Because it's one of the greatest values in our culture to avoid suffering at all costs. But for the Christian, suffering is not to be avoided at all costs. It is to be co-opted at all costs so that through it, we become joyful, mature, and complete in Jesus and with Jesus. One more quote, and then we'll wrap up. This is from the book I quoted earlier, The Fellowship of the Suffering. And the authors write, to strengthen our fellowship with Jesus continually, the scenes and events of the Passion Week should be regularly contemplated in our hearts and minds to strengthen our fellowship with Christ. It is particularly wise to do this when we aren't experiencing acute forms of suffering so that when we inevitably do, we will be able to sense Jesus' presence alongside us more readily. Now, in small groups this week, those of you who are in small groups, young adults and um, college students, we're going to actually explore that there are many ways to join in the suffering of Jesus. Meditating on the events of Passion Week is one of them. We'll explore some more of those in small groups. 
One of the things that we know in every way that we suffer with Christ and for Christ, one of the things we have always, always, always is the promise of 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. For Christ followers, suffering is not an obstacle. Suffering is an opportunity to learn obedience, to deepen our prayers and our worship, and our joy and our character. Let's pray together. Father, Lent gives us an opportunity in the Christian year to really to look suffering in the eye and decide whether we will run from it or whether it will will make us bitter or whether we will learn obedience through our suffering. Help us, Father, to make time to, to spend with Jesus in the upper room as he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. Help each of us to set aside time to, to reflect on what it was like for Jesus to wash our feet. That, that crazy thing that humans are supposed to bow their knee before God. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh, bows before humans and washes their feet to show them the full extent of his love. Father, help us to join Jesus in the upper room. And for the meal, help us to, to sense what's going on when Judas leaves the table to go and betray Jesus. And let us follow Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and let us pray with him and let us be there when he is arrested. Lord, would you help each of us to stand with Jesus through his trials, to be with Jesus through his torture, and then to stand at the foot of the cross and take in all that is going on on a human level and all that's going on on a spiritual level. Let us hear every word of Jesus from the cross so that we will fall down on our knees before the cross of Jesus and honor him for such a great love that he would do that for us. Could you give us the gift, Father, of sharing in the suffering of Jesus? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.